Hi, it's John Hall, and I'm taking advantage of the September heat wave happening now across New Jersey, which means Oktoberfest beers and the backyard inflatable pool. So I'm glad to bring you this special episode of the All About Beer podcast with Don Tess and M. Souter, as they speak with Ron Pattinson and Mike Karnowski about IPAs through time. Their show can use your support. Please consider becoming a sponsor of All About Beer through our Patreon link. That's patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. Or if your company is interested in advertising and keeping their show moving along, please email info at allaboutbeer.com and we'll get you everything you need to know. Don't forget, you can follow All About Beer on social media and visit allaboutbeer.com every day for new content. And now, please enjoy this episode of the All About Beer podcast with M. Souter and Don Tess. I'm Don Tess, better known as the Don of Beer. And I'm M. Sauter, better known as Pints and Panels. Welcome to the 27th episode of the All About Beer podcast. Every two weeks, we talk with leading experts and take a deep dive into one topic in beer. This week on the show, we're going to talk about IPAs through time. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. Or throw us uh, and throw us a few bucks through Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. So, Em, you know how when you recommend a great movie or a great book to a friend and after they watch the movie or read the book and they tell you how much they loved it, you feel happy for having shared that knowledge with them? Yeah, of course. It feels great to share good things and things I love with people that I care about. Yeah. So that's what the that's the feeling people will get when they let their friends know about the All About Beer podcast. Um, the listenership uh, of this show has really skyrocketed the last two months, and so I want to thank everybody who has shared it, um, but also want to ask everybody to continue sharing it. Yes, thank you so much, but let's keep it going. If there's someone you know who think would enjoy this show, please, please, please share it with them. And go ahead and tag us on social media when you do share it, then we can thank you and welcome the new listener. So, Em, uh, I have an esoteric question for you. All right, bring it on. Have you ever had... An IPA. I, never, I think it's never, uh, never heard. No, of yeah, it. it's a pretty obscure style. I think uh, <laughs> I've had like dozens of different beers, and I've never heard of IPA. Well, you know, I love visual beer education, so I can tell you, Don, that the IPA is one of the most popular beer styles in craft beer, and there are dozens of variations. But it started hundreds, uh, hundreds of years ago, rather, and it's changed through time. And so now there was a one single IPA and now there's more than 25. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, I really look forward to our two guests telling us all about it. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. And if you'd like to help support the All About Beer podcast, please reach out to podcast at allaboutbeer.com. Estrella Galicia is an independent family-owned brewery in Northwest Spain, founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world-class lager brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops, and the best brewing practices made out of the state-of-the-art facility in Acruña. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, Estrella Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Estrella Galicia, follow them at Estrella Galicia USA on Instagram. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K 
I-M-A, valleyhops.com. Ron Pattinson is a British beer writer and historian who lives in Amsterdam. He has wasted the last two decades of his twilight years researching and obsessing over many beer-related topics. On his Shut Up About Barclay Perkins blog, he writes an excruciating detail about beer history, mostly of British beer styles, with excursions across the channel into German, Austrian, Dutch, and Scandinavian beer history. The books he has authored on beer history are almost innumerable. They're mostly significant for their single word titles such as Porter, Mild, and Bitter, and their enormous page count. His published works include a book on brewing historic beers called The Homebrewer's Guide to Vintage Beer, and the, and the definitive work on Scottish beer and brewing, the snappily titled Scotland, Volume 2. The few copies of his books to be sold mostly reside in brewers' offices. He is married and the father of two sons in their 20s, neither of whom have yet bothered to move out, despite numerous hints. Welcome to the show, Ron. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Um, so this episode is mostly about IPAs through time, but I know you're passionate about generally dispelling myths about IPA. So why don't we start by you telling us a couple of the most shocking myths about IPA that you've found are false. Oh, well, the, the most shocking one was it was made especially strong, so it survived the journey. Ah, and so, that is false. To India, which is just not true. What was the um, AB, what was the ABV then? Well, I I I got this. I knew this was going to come up, so I've got the <laughs> I, I've got this ready, and, I, and I've got um, some stuff about uh, early IPAs. Okay, so the first IPA I've got an actual brewing record for is from 1839, and it has an original gravity of 1057. Oh, so it's only like five and a half percent or so ABV. Yeah. And I've got details of a whole load of IPAs that were exported to India in the 1840s. And lots of them are under 1050. Oh, even so they're like they're like session IPAs. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, oh, sorry, not under 1050, uh, under 1060. So you've got oh, 1060, of, okay. You, so you've got some that are as low as 1053. And these are these are beers which were genuinely exported to India as well. Hmm. Were they I do were they called IPAs at this time? I thought because I thought the IPA moniker shows up in what 1829? Yeah, these are from 1844. Okay. Okay. So these are I IPAs and, and the, the this comes from the Scottish Ale Brewer. And oh. it specifically said which says which ones were for export. And so it says some of them you can see the domestic ones, and some of them it says export India. So they're ones that genuinely went to India. Um, yeah, people people get the wrong idea, but people are obsessed with it being high, particularly strong. You look at Bass's beers from the 1860s, their IPA has the second lowest OG, no, it has equal lowest OG of all the beers they brewed. And the beer nope. that it's e equal to is their weakest mild. Every other be single beer they brewed had a higher OG than their IPA. So it's not that they didn't make higher higher alcohol beer. They deliberately no, were they didn't shipping want it that lowest. strong. People didn't huh? want a big heavy beer in India. That that was the point. They they and they might have made brewed them even lower, but for the fact of the way the tax system worked, and they 
which basically meant that you couldn't really export. You, you would be losing money if you exported something that was lower than about 1050. So they might well have actually exported weaker beer to India if they could have. Um, any evidence that so they 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 sent a beer that was 1050 or maybe slightly more than 1050 because of the the tax law. Any evidence that they might have diluted it when it got to India? No, there's no evidence of that. No. Okay. So I mean, if you if you look at the gravity state, I mean, I'm looking at this table of ones from the 1840s. And I think the lowest gravity is 1052, and the highest one is 1070. But but you have to realize that that's not strong for the for the first half of the 19th century. You, you're looking at the the base level mild ales with six six and a half percent alcohol at the time. So a beer that's six and a half seven percent alcohol is not strong. It's 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 like a middle of the road beer for the 19th century. The strong beers, they're over 1,100. Right, right. So they're not sending those, those aren't going to India. So everyone who says like, oh, because I literally just wrote an article about this and I talk about sending <laughs> stock ales. You're going to have to retract it. I know, and I 100% will because Ron, when, Ron, when Ron says something, he's right and he always brings receipts and that's why I respect him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, yeah. But, but when you say it's a stock ale, mm -hmm. that's still true. Okay. They they were they were stock ales. Okay. I, I mean the, the the story I always tell people is about Bass IPA, which is completely insane the way that they brewed it. That they brew the beer, they stick it into the hogsheads, and then they just dump it in the brewery yard and leave it there for a year, just out uh -huh. in the open. And then after a year, then they put it on the ship to India. Why? Why? Well, because it, it's because of one of the main protections that IPA had on its journey to India was the fact that there was nothing fermentable left in it. So that year it had in the casks in the brewery yard, Britannomyces stripped out every last bit of fermentable material so oh. that when they stuck it on the ships, there was nothing for anything nasty to ferment anymore. And this is one of the big, big, big things about IPA in the 19th century is the incredible rate of attenuation. And I've got analyses of bass from the late 19th century, bottles of bass, and the and the, the original gravity is 1065, and the finishing gravity is 1001. So it's Oof. almost 100% attenuated. Oof. I bet that was delicious. And also, these people <laughs> making Brett IPAs, that's just historic IPA. All IPA would have been Brett IPA. Yes, because there were stock beers. And, yeah. and this is the thing, that there were, there were stock pale ales. And so up until about the 1840s, all pale ales in England were brewed as stock pale ales, which meant that they were quite often brewed in October and they're not actually drunk until the next summer. And you see these old adverts from, from, from British breweries where they're saying, right, this is our, our stock pale ale. It's guaranteed to last for a year if you don't open the cask. Hmm. So it was good for a year, they said, and it was, and, and that would have been aged for probably used to, at least a year before they even sent it out. It's it's really fun that the like original IPA is an aged beer when now people are. Oh, so if obsessed. it's more than a week old. Oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah. It's but so this, this is one of the things that I find really amusing. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> it's a complete reversal of the way it used to be. Yeah. Um, 
and, and you see that, that running parallels they don't really appear until like the 1850s and then you then you get the the new style of pale ale gradually takes over as the 19th century goes along and the stock pale ales fall out of favor until eventually all you've got after world war one the only people brewing stock pale ales anymore were really brewers in burton where you'd still got some proper burton ipas being brewed but apart from that stock pale ales had basically disappeared and, and you've got the the running beers which are basically what modern bitter is ah, I see. yeah so running beer isn't running beer that's not like par- is that a party guile thing where they're no, no, using no, no, second but, oh it's just this it's just a uh, a lower alcohol version no of no, the- no 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 it doesn't even necessarily mean lower alcohol it just means a beer that hasn't been aged okay got it thank so, you so, so you get this thing where originally they're all aged the 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 pale ale's knife, um, and also the the differentiation between IPA and pale ale is pretty much impossible to make in British beer. That mm. the, the 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 terms were used randomly, and so you find that the the classic English IPA from Bass was never called IPA by the brewery; they only ever called it pale ale. So like um, yeah, and then you've got like Green King now makes an IPA that's like three percent. Where what the, my BJCP homebrew judger brain is like, no no no, yeah. IPAs are five and a half and more. So okay, right yeah, right. you've got different types of IPA. Yeah, of course. And um, and what you find in London is that when the brewers started, like say Whitbread, it's one of the big London breweries, when they started brewing pale ale, first one they brewed in the eighteen sixties, they called pale ale. And that had was sort of like a classic Burton pale ale in lots of ways. It was about 1065, so 6.5% ABV, something like that. And then towards the end of the 19th century, I think in 1899, they introduced a new beer called IPA, which only had a gravity of 1050, which for pre-World War One is not very strong. And that beer then carried on into the into war years and became what I would call a London style of IPA, which you had there, which was a relatively low gravity bottled beer that was actually quite hoppy. The the, the um, Whitbread version was quite heavily hopped, but most of the time it was, wasn't above 4% ABV during the, in the interwar period. So quite a, a weak beer. And you have this type of bottled beer of of low gravity IPA still exists. So Harvey's, one of the classic London ale breweries, sorry, British ale breweries, they brew a beer called IPA nowadays, a bottled beer that's about 3% ABV. And Mm. there's a tradition of these beers and and Green King IPA fits in with that. But um, it's a huge problem when you're looking at British beers to pick apart IPA and pale ale. And the only way I can do it is I go by what the brewer says. And the only exception I make to that is Bass, because I know that was an IPA. But other than that, I can only ever go by what the brewer calls it, because there's no consistency. Uh, one brewery might have the IPA as the stronger beer. That's normally the case in, in Burton. When you go to London, Pale Ale's the stronger beer and IPA's the weaker one. Hmm. Um, so the, the, the way you know people in the States think now in the hierarchy of ales is that IPA is stronger than Pale Ale. That's mm-hmm. not always been the case. And and it, it's an absolute nightmare, honestly, in, in Britain. I've, I've just been <laughs> writing some stuff about the 1970s. And there are these beers, and 
these analyses I've got of, of, of British beers from the early 1970s. And I can see some of them, I know these things are actually IPAs or were originally IPAs, but they're not being called that. They're mostly just being called bitter. And, mm. and I, can, I can sort of pull out some of them because I know, says so I know, well, the Truman's, Ben Truman, that's their P1B from the 19th century. That's their equivalent of Bass Pale Ale. So that's like a classic Burton IPA, but they weren't calling it that. And virtually none of the beers that I picked out to be IPAs in the bottles collection of beers were actually marketed as IPAs. I think there was only one of the bunch that actually said IPA in the name, but I knew that the rest of them were. And and, and it's just a, a nightmare. And and yeah, I recently wrote something about the, the BJCP definition of English, English IPA, which was mostly just like an American's idea of what English IPA should be, rather than based on beers that have actually ever been brewed in the UK. It feels mm. to me like when I see the BJCP version of English IPA, it's what American brewers brew that style to. Yeah. Yes. Which is just an American IPA with a little more crystal and, uh, malt and then and English and fuggles. Yeah, and fuggles and uh, some Maris Otter. Um, but, 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 but crystal malt. God, God, you, you, know, yeah. you know, crystal malt in pale ales. <laughs> I it's love the, your reaction. <laughs> I'm telling you what the. the <laughs> it's it's, no, an, okay. it's yeah. an incredibly Go ahead, recent thing. I've not found a single IPA or pale ale before World War One that had crystal malt in it. When does crystal malt show up in malt technology actually do you know the answer to um that? late late 19th century okay oh okay but, so it's but, not, but, yeah. but it, it, it was specifically developed for mild hmm. i will re i will hold on a second i'm sorry to interrupt you i will retract my my crystal malt statement because of course i'm reading the bjcp 2021 english ipa it says pale ale malt english hops Attenuative British ale yeast, refined sugar may be used, optional sulfate character. So there is no mention of crystal malt. So Gordon okay. Strong, if you're listening, I'm sorry. So <laughs> yeah, so so crystal malt, but only really turns up after World War II in pale ale. So you get it a bit between the wars, but not much. You know, it's it's a fairly recent thing, and I think it's people trying to compensate for the fall in gravity. Mm. Is why they started putting it into pale ale recipes. Hmm. Oh, I see. Um, okay, I've, I've, there, I've, there's a lot to digest there. <laughs> I know. I love um, it. Talking to and, Ron is like talking to a dictionary that like talks back to yeah, you, know, or mean, an encyclopedia, and, you, and it makes me very pleased. Blew my mind with the chuff. very first thing you said. Okay, so the 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 typical craft beer drinker today thinks of IPA as high alcohol highly hot so you've blown the high alcohol thing out of the water highly hopped yes 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 because there were stock ales and they were meant for export so the longer a beer was meant to be kept before it was sold the more hops they threw in it um were things like concepts like dry hopping a thing or would, yeah, of course. would it just be very bitter okay so they would have been dry hopped yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But, but most british beers were dry hopped I mean, I mean, I, it, it's it's difficult in the brewing records because they often don't mention the dry hops, which is hmm. an irritating. But in the ones where they do, yeah, I've seen breweries that were were dry hopping everything. Well, well, I mean, Tetley's 
um, which was one of my favorite beers when I was younger, which is a, was a big industrial brewery. They were dry hopping their mild in the 1980s. Wow. When does dry hopping show up in your brewing records? Like when does, when do, or, or I mean, if people are always doing it, but when does it start? It's uh, early 20th century, I think, the first time that I've, I've seen it actually mentioned. Um, okay. Maybe late 19th. Um, okay. I think the William Youngest ones, they, they, they give the dry hops. Hmm. And, and again, this is, this is something else. So, so this is Youngest, which is a Scottish brewery, and they were dry hopping Scotch ales. Ooh, I want one of those. <laughs> well, they also use SARS as well. Really? Why would they use SARS? Um, because it's a good hop. I mean, besides SARS being wonderful, it's, it just well, seems, yeah. You just have to remember that, that in the late 19th century, British brewing was brewing a lot of beer mm-hmm. and they were using an incredible amount of hops and they couldn't grow enough hops in the UK. So some years I've worked out that the UK brewing industry was using half of the hops that had been grown in the whole world. Hmm. What? Yeah. Wow. It's <laughs> awesome. Uh... It, it was that high a percentage. Britain was one of the largest hop producers. I mean, late 19th century, it's about even between the UK, the USA and Germany. And even though it was a massive hop producer, it could not produce enough hops for, the, for its beer. So which is why you find that loads and loads of American hops come in after the 1850s. Hmm. So in late 19th century, you're looking at, so between, say, 1870 and World War One, most years between 25 and 50% of the hops used in UK brewing were American. Hmm. A huge percentage of the American hop hop. Uh, hop production was exported to the UK. Well, yeah. of course, they hated the hops. They, <laughs> they they're, like well, they're like New York State cluster hops, right? So they're well they're to start kind of... with, and then later on, West Coast hops. Okay, yeah. So, so find... you see, they make the different. There's a differentiation they make in the brewing records. They'll say American hops generally meant New York State, mm-hmm. and then when the hop industry moved west, then you see they'll say things like Pacific. Californian, Oregon, Washington, British Columbian, stuff like that. So you can see that they, they're differentiating between the two areas in the US by what they call them. Hmm. That hmm. makes sense. Yeah. But I mean, generally, they wouldn't have put them, well, they might have put them in an IPA, but they'd have put them in as the early kettle hops, which is the way American hops were normally used. Right. Yeah, because they didn't want the flavor, right? Of the yeah, American they didn't hops. like the flavor. Yeah, they didn't like, yeah, which is fun because now everyone likes, you know, they're looking for the flavor. And back then yeah. they were just looking for the bitterness. How the yeah, tables well, have turned. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole thing about about hopping in, in, in British brewing is, certainly in the 19th century, a lot of the hopping is nothing to do with the flavor of the beer. Mm-hmm. They are using the hops as a preservative. Right. And so... Sometimes, you know, some of the hops, they're not interested in the flavor from them. They just want the preservative qualities of those hops. Um, and because they're using massive, um, masses of them. I mean, I've seen brews from, from London breweries where they're putting in literally one ton of leaf hops into a single brew. One it ton? One, yeah. One have been in a single mash ton. It would have been over, or a single copper. It would have been over several, but a single brew, over 2,000 pounds of hops. Jesus. 
I find it also interesting because you mentioned saws that how everything new was once, you know, it's already been done. Like, like people are using saws, hops and IPAs now because apparently it's got, you know, the um, thiols and whatever for that are biotransformative. Uh, but, you know, the Brits already did it. So I think. That's yeah, yeah. Well, well I, I, every time people t- think they've come up with something new, I can normally go back and find an example of it being done in the past. Right. Does, but, does, uh, yeah. There's a lot uh, of beer history, and yeah, yeah, people have tried a lot of things. And, and, and brute IPA. Well, you were saying that these these the the original IPAs were bone dry. So yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. You look at the the, <laughs> the final gravities of them; it's like barely over a thousand. For, and and so for the gravity, they are actually quite strong beers. So you've got bass. Yeah. I think some of them. It, I think it's like 1065, but it's coming out to seven and a half percent ABV because it's so highly attenuated. Yeah. But I mean, an, another thing I, I, I wanted to mention this was, was when, when you're on about beer going to India, of course, most of the beer going into to India wasn't IPA. What was it? Well, most of it was porter. Yeah. Or- was that the, I mean, Porter is, you know, the macro beer of its day. So it makes sense that it would, but would it get the same kind of heavily hopped bread? Yeah. Car- so it would be this kind of dry, funky Porter that's showing up? Yeah, it's, 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 it's exactly the same thing. So so just the way that pale, IPA was a pale ale just topped more heavily and, mm-hmm. and, to, and really heavily attenuated. You see the same thing with the Porters. So I mean, the, the the way I know how much more Porter went than than uh, IPA is because I've seen the the advertisements that the East India Company put in newspapers asking for tenders to supply beer, and usually the the the, the quantity of Porter they're asking for is two to three times as much as the quantity of Ooh. pale ale. Pale ale. Oh. And, I wonder. And, and, yeah. Well, there's, there's a really simple reason for this class. So the the pale ale that was for the officers and for the officials of the East India Company. The porter that was for the ordinary soldiers. Mm. Mm. So they had they got porter in their canteens, and the, the the reason they had porter is that they noticed that they didn't die as quickly if they had porter rather than drinking spirits. Oh, <laughs> And I've actually seen a, 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 a report from a medical officer in in, uh, in India explaining, saying, "Oh, these different regions of India, and in, in this one they have beer, in this one they have spirits, and the death rates four times as high in the one where they have spirits." Thanks. Um, and that class issue might be why we hold IPA and pale ale in higher regard in present day versus the darker beers is that even mild is that fair or yeah well i, I mean the whole thing is you you look at at um, ipa and pale ale in in britain especially in the earlier part of the 19th century it's an expensive beer it's it's there's not coal miners who are drinking this stuff it's the middle classes who are drinking pale ale because it's expensive so i mean i, I was saying about bass how the, the ipa had the joint lowest gravity of any of their beers it also had one of the highest prices of any of their beers Hmm. so it was costing more than beers that were a lot stronger 
because it, it sold as a premium IPA. And you see this all the way through the 19th century, that it's uh, IPA, beers called IPA like Bass, they're probably 20, 25% more expensive than most of the beers of the same strengths. Why would they be more expensive? Is it just a marketing tactic? Well, yes, because it was this fancy new beer. And oh. it's, it's like everything when it comes in. Pilsner was a fancy, expensive beer when it was first introduced. Hmm. <laughs> this, yeah. is the, the, this is often the, the route that beers take, that they start off as something exclusive, as exclusive and special, and it's an aspirational thing, and people want to drink it. Mm -hmm. And then brewers gradually corrupt it as time goes on so they can make it cheaper Hefe, yeah hefeweizen is the same way because yeah. the wheat beers are brewed by royalty and that's what everyone all the like higher classes drink and then gradually it goes through the classes and then wheat beer proliferates and then dark beers show up so yeah it's i guess it's it's very interesting how marketing marketing through time and class through time is a it's a it's age it's age old it's ageless yeah, yeah it's yeah, ageless yeah. so yeah I, I, I mean I, I i love looking at the way fashions in beer go over time and someone was saying something really interesting to me the other day about um about lager that it seems to be getting the the thing that's a death knell for any beer style which is seems to be getting to be a, a associated with old men, which is normally when the beer style is just about to die. Kind of like how my, yeah, mild like in mild. the 50s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah or, 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 or milk stout. Well, milk stout was even worse. That was that was the stuff that grannies drank. Oh. Wow. <laughs> I'm amazed that milk stouts managed to make a comeback. Every, yeah, everything that's old is new. like the dark mild trend in America right now is quite not. I wouldn't say strong, but you know, there's a fair amount of breweries brewing dark milds, and it's I'm very happy with it as a dark beer lover uh, and beer geek. But yeah, it'll be interesting. What do you think the future of like hazy and what the future of just IPA in general? Where do you do you see Where's that it going? Where's it going? I'm sure you get asked that question constantly. I, I think they've almost flogged it to death, to be honest. Um, it's like just calling everything some type of IPA. It's, and, and just what I was saying about, you know, milk stout and, and, and mild, IPA is going to end up like that as well. And, and when beers go out of fashion, when they have the wrong association, it's remarkable how quickly the sales can fall off. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, mild went from 50% of UK beer production in 1960 to 17% in 1970. Oh, wow. wow. 10 years. Yeah. And then put another 10 years on that, and it's down to 8%. Oh, wow. <laughs> so if you were drinking in a dark mild in like 1981, let's say. Yeah. You were in the very, very, like, very small minority. Well, you were probably in the West Midlands. Or, yeah, or it was regional. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so there'd be places where, oh, I mean, some bits of the North as well, but very patchy. I mean, even when I was started drinking in the mid-70s, there were parts of the country where there was virtually no miles. So London, it was pretty much dead mm. by then, northeast of England as well. 
going to oh. stock up on hazy IPAs because I might not be able to get No, them. yeah, I think we're okay for hazy a, IPAs. I, a while. I, 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 I got a 10-year supply. Well, one thing I'll, I'll throw in about this, about hazy IPAs, right? Every time I'm in the U.S., I ask every single brewer I meet, professional brewer, what they think of a hazy IPAs, right? And do you know how many I've got to say like them? Probably not a lot. Not one. What? I, I like them, but I'm not I a like brewer. But I like professional them. brewers, honestly, every single one I've asked, none of them like them. They all think they're crap and they only brew them because they have to. They sell. I, I've noticed anytime I do IPA content on social media, the I get so much more like a conversation, engagement, engagement. engagement thank you, Don. Um, then let's say like me talking about sadly, like Schwartz beer. Um, but I mean, I also love all beer. I, I can't help myself. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, brewer it's brewers. When you go to a brewery and you're visiting brewers, brewers want lagers now, but what does that mean? You know, there's, there's so much, if I was a brewer, I want someone to bring me a Burton ale. <laughs> does anyone brew a Burton ale? That, like um, a classic yeah. one. Yeah, Young's Winter Warmer. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Which oh. was called Burton up until the mid-1970s, I think. Okay. They just renamed Wait. it. It's, that's basically the, the, the Burton ale they've been brewing. Where is Young's being brewed? Because didn't they sell the brewery? Yeah, they sold the brewery, and then it was being uh, at, at Wells and Young, I think. Oh, I don't okay. know if it's still being brewed, because that... That changed ownership. It's it's confusing. Uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, the other thing is yeah. that they've actually there's been someone brewing on the site in Wandsworth the whole time. Oh, really? Yeah, because they've got the claim to be the oldest uh, oldest continuous brewing site in the UK. Right. And so someone didn't want them to lose that, so they've been brewing there all the time, just as uh, just like I don't know, twenty gallons at a time. Oh, I didn't realize that. Hey, you gotta keep you gotta it. keep it up, you know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'd like to get your thoughts on how we, you know, we kind of touched upon hazy IPA and uh and you also touched upon how there's you, you know, just slap IPA on any beer, add some extra hops, and people seem to want to buy it. How how has modern craft beer, particularly in America, influenced traditional British IPA and particularly cask ale, which is I think something special uh and unique to britain um well i think i, I think the american influence you, you you've seen in, in british cask beer is people using american hops or modern american hops in in things like bitters which can work really well um and that, yeah you've got you've got the, the the two schools basically so you've got people who are just trying to brew beers that are exactly like the ones brewed in the u.s yeah and then older brewers who are perhaps maybe trying to use American hops in more traditional types of British beer. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, personally, I prefer the, the second approach. And it, it's sometimes a bit depressing when everyone in the whole world is trying to brew the same beers as the, in the US, and it's a bit strange. Right. Yeah, I was, uh, in, Vietnam, I was in Vietnam a few months ago, and, and there, yeah, it's, it's, there's tons of American-style beers. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've had hazy IPAs from Russia. I had a I had a cold IPA in South Africa. 
two cold IPAs from two separate oh breweries. So, yeah, this, uh, it's pretty interesting how the globalization of the beer scene. Things, well, I mean, what I've noticed is that things move incredibly quickly now. Mm. So, whereas if you went back 20 years, it might take a couple of years from some trend for the states to get anywhere else. I mean, now you see it just whips around the world really quickly. Right, right. So, hazy IPA on cask. Um, yeah, I guess you could do that. But, um, <laughs> Glitter IPA on cask. You could do that. <laughs> I mean, you could do that. It's just yeah. What well, about what looking, yeah? Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Ron. What I'm looking forward to is a nice um, Dunkler's on cask in a couple of weeks. Oh. oh. So, where are you going to get that? Yeah, where? Yeah, where? Where? Where can I? Where can I find this? Uh, where I'm going to get that is in my brother's house. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess it's make it. But, but it has it is is a beer brewed by a proper well because one of my school friends has a brewery. So oh, nice. When Good I go friend. over, Brittany normally gives us a cask of beer to have in my brother's house. So oh. and we can get so through we, we can get through a firkin easily enough in a weekend. And Ron, you're you're okay with these kind of. Like I, I, obviously you uh, love the history of beer, and then you're gonna do this. You're gonna drink this weird. I'm gonna call it weird, uh, cast condition dunkless, and you're cool with that. Like you, you, you. Yeah, well, I like dunkless, and I like cast condition. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let the man drink what he wants. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I just find that I, drink I, what I, you I, want. Think, I think a lot of people think of historians as being anti modernization or anti-experimentation the thing for me is that i find it interesting how beer is developing and how beer styles are developing so it it doesn't yeah uh, um i expect it to be change that, that that's just the way it works and yeah. you know and the more i've studied history then the further you go back the more you see how everything's cyclical, so beer styles mm. come and they go, you know. Yep. Style turns up, becomes incredibly popular, and then slowly fades away. And it keeps happening over history. So, I, I mean, yeah, it, it's interesting to see the new beers coming up. I, I mean, I would say what interests me most at the moment is what's going to replace pale lager as the world's most popular style. Do you think yeah. that's going to happen? Well, it's happened every time in the past, so I don't see why why uh, Pilsner should be a, any exception. Yeah. Glitter yeah, Mild. Glitter Mild is going to do it. Glitter yeah, that, that would be weird. Heineken Glitter Mild. <laughs> yes. Zero, zero. I, Heineken Glitter I was Mild, gonna, zero, actually, zero. The only, the only thing I could see is that the proliferation of, I just butchered that word, of non-alcoholic beers. How there's so many the pale lager NA beers are really popular, um, yeah. which I I I mean you know and then how does that change over time and well that's this, this, right yeah. this has happened since I've been drinking I think three or four times oh okay so this is yeah and 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 there's this thing for non-alcoholic beer. And it comes and it goes. Okay. Oh, um, interesting. Don't, 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 I would say at the moment it looks like it's found a niche, but mm -hmm. how big it's ever going to get, I don't know. Okay. Um, there's probably more scope for just lower alcohol beers, I would have said. Yeah, which mostly British. I mean, that I think maybe that's why the 
breweries in America are gravitating. We, you know, um, that's why I'm seeing more dark miles. It's really great to see a 3.8% beer on a tap board at a, at a brewery in America, because there are a lot of breweries where you go and you're like, cool, everything's above seven. Like, yeah, I have to, I have to operate a car. Um, yeah, that, 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 that amazes me sometimes. I mean, last time I, a couple of times I've been in the States, I haven't been impressed with the range of beers in, in most beer bars. Mm-hmm. It's been, what's that I said? <laughs> Do I, I summed this up, but it's either IPA, cloudy IPA, cloudy IPA with shit in it. Sour beer. Double dry hot. Sour beer, yeah. yeah. Sour beer with lactose and shit in it. Pilsner. Hey, at least there's Pilsner, yeah. And so there'd be like one lager and all the rest would yeah. just be sour and IPAs. Rob, just, just, be, <laughs> just be thankful it wasn't a lactose Pilsner. That doesn't exist. I've never it just, seen it that It does exist. I've it does exist, but I've ne- I'm sure, yeah. But I've never, I'm, that's, yeah. <laughs> Um, I have a question. What about the new? I know in the UK there there's lots of new hops like Jester and Olacana that are brewed to kind of, or grown rather to mimic like the fruitiness. Um, how do you think that plays into the future and the past of the IPA? Um, well, I guess, but I, I mean, one of the things I've, I've I've often said to people is that most of the true innovation that there's been in beer in the last 30 years has come from the hop breeders. Mm. And that, that's where genuinely new flavors have come from. It's from people bre- uh, breeding, you know, different hops, hops with different flavors in them. So, I, I mean, yeah, a, a, a style of beer like IPA, where it's all about hops, I'm sure it's going to be very important the the development of of all the new varieties. But I mean, it's not just in the UK. You, you see, in the Germany, they've been breeding new varieties as well. Yeah, yeah. That Hallertau Blanc gets me. That's my favorite hop. Oh, okay, really? I I, I, it's like pine, straight pineapple. Oh right. It's really really lovely. That's what I get. I get pineapple in it, and it's yeah. a love, especially with um with uh, IPAs. Like it's it's just a it's a it's a it's beautiful. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I mean, what I would imagine is going to happen in, in future is, as, as you've seen, that the innovation in hot breeding seems to be spreading over to other places. So you're getting, and obviously because of the way hops are, which is that they're always going to taste different depending on where you grow them. That yeah. there's there's a lot of scope for for all the hot regions developing new types of flavors. I mean, maybe trying to go for some of the American style ones with all the fruitiness, but they're always going to have their own twist just because they're growing somewhere different. Right. So, I mean, I think that's quite exciting seeing what, what's going to happen with, with hops. But I mean, I, I would say that, you know, things like goldings, you use enough goldings and uh, whole leaf goldings and you start getting citrus flavors out of them. Hmm. It, it's re- really odd. Um, I mean, I've had arguments with people about this. Well, people who've never tasted a beer that had a load of the bin, but still seem <laughs> to think they knew what they were talking about, which is, I find quite baffling. But yeah, I did a, a, a beer with Pretty Things, which is weirdly a mild, that had loads and loads of whole leaf goldings. And it was absolutely magical, the effect. And they mm. rebrewed the beer and did it with pellet hops, and it wasn't the same. Hmm. Huh. 
That is but, fascinating. Love that. So um, yes, I think I think goldings, you know, if they're used in the right way, I think can be pretty magical. So um, if we have people uh, visiting the UK, what is one or two beers that you would recommend in terms of understanding preferably historic British IPA? I know that you can't get it per se, but anything that kind of showcases what it might uh, have been like? Um, 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 I would have said White Shield, but... Mm. I don't know if that's, I think they might have discontinued that again. Because that oh, was. Yeah, Worthington. Is that Worthington? Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that was, has a lineage back to the 19th century. Yeah. I mean, that was also the same beer as for a while. You had Bass Red Triangle and Worthington White Shield that were the same beer. So you could argue that Worthington White Shield is like successor to Bass Red Triangle. Yeah. So. Oh. Um. Yeah, Thornbridge. I mean, I quite like Jaipur, but oh yes, but that's sort of sort of quite a modern style of IPA. Yeah, it is quite um, delicious, though. It is very good. Yeah, I do like Jaipur, and it works very nicely on cask. I, I tell you, what else I had fresh squeezed IPA. I had on cask once from Deschutes. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. One of oh. the best beers I've ever drunk. Oh wow. Huh. And and people say IPAs don't work on cask. Not sure at all. That was so good. I think I had four <laughs> pints of it and had to leave before I <laughs> fell over. <laughs> I pour on cask is I had it in Sheffield at the pub in the train station. Oh um, right, that's really nice, isn't it? It's very yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I did a pub tour with of Sheffield with Matt Curtis, and he insisted the minute we got to Sheffield that. That was our first was a half of Jaipur at the train station, and it was excellent. So it really set the mood for a wonderful day of drinking in Sheffield. So, oh, Sheffield's really brilliant for pubs. That was a grow. That was a great. That was a wonderful experience. I would. I would. I love. I love. I got to go back to. Did, did you go to St. Mars of the Desert? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The new pretty. I call it new pretty things because in my yeah. head. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they had um, they gave me a bunch of cans, and they had uh, their barley wine, and I got to share it with a bunch of people back in. Because when Pretty Things closed, it was very sad. So, but uh, yeah, no. All right. Anyway, sorry, we're not talking about IPA anymore. Yeah, but, but, but the, 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 the beer I was on about with all the with all the Goldings in that was the first beer I did with Pretty Things. Yes, which is are you do you are you going to do anything with St. Mars, their new brewery in Sheffield, or do um... they? Yeah, I mean they've they've, they've um, well they brewed rebrewed that that oh, recipe the the strong mild one, but mm -hmm. uh, it didn't work out as strong. I think it was only about eight percent because it's the original was oh, ten only. and a half. Yeah, oh. only only eight percent. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, well, hopefully I, I I might be going there in a couple of weeks because I'm over in the UK and I, I want to go up and see Dan and Martha. So they're very nice people. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're, we're, I've, I've known them quite a long while. Well, I've known them before Pretty Things, even. Oh. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah, they're super people. All right, we're not talking about IPA anymore. So, <laughs> sorry, Don, do you have any more questions? No, that was that was or my I, last or question. I, so we're basically just Ron and I talk for the next hour about <laughs> non-beer related, <laughs> like beer related stuff. Um. So the answer to the last question was 
Jarpro, is that kind of the or or Worthington White Shield if you can get it? Is that yeah, if you can get it, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Or or draft it, pass yeah. after uh, draft pass as well. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. true. Yeah, because you you can't get draft pass in America, I don't believe, but you can. But yeah, yeah, just, I'm, 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 yeah. I mean, the bass they sold in the states was a different pair. Yeah, you can get draft pass because I've had it. I had it at CBC in Minneapolis. Um, but yeah, no, I've never had draft UK bass. It looks so. It looks lovely. Yeah, it, it can be a really good beer, but. Um, mm. Yeah, it used to be better when it was, still went through the unions. But mm. I mm. mean, the stupid thing is, they could actually put it through union sets again now because it's brewed at Marston's and they're the only people who've got a union set. Right. That's right. true. And talking so about, a, yeah, a Burton union is a discussion for another day, probably. Yeah. But, but, but another, <laughs> another bit to, to, to say would be Marston's pedigree, which is put through union sets. And I think the only pale ale that is. And you can buy um, that. You can get that in the UK. Marston's pedigree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, because yeah. that'll be brewed yeah. outside of London. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and um, um, people were saying it didn't really have the 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 Burton character anymore because I know last time I drank it, which is probably about ten years or so, it had the the genuine Burton farty smell, which you should get from a proper Burton pale ale. Loads of sulfur dioxide. Delicious. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Which is a strange thing, but Burton Snatch. Yeah, I'm not sure it has that anymore, which, which would be a real shame if it doesn't. Huh. Awesome. Um, Ron, if people want to uh you know read your latest writing and follow you, what are your social media handles or how can people uh, get in touch with you? Uh, well, shut up about Barclay Perkins is my blog. So, I mean, it's got a fairly distinctive name, so I think it's fairly yes. easy to find. Um, and I've got lots of books. I mean, I've just just released a couple of books. Um, I mean, one on the history of London Stout hmm. and another on brewing during World War II. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Ron. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ron. We really appreciate it. Okay, well, it's been fun. Yeah. All right. Cheers, Ron. Estrella Galicia is an independent family-owned brewery in Northwest Spain, founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world-class lager, brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops, and the best brewing practices made out of the state-of-the-art facility in Acruña. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, Estrella Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Estrella Galicia, follow them at Estrella Galicia USA on Instagram. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com. Mike Karnowski is the owner-brewer at Zebulon Artisanal Ales in Weaverville, North Carolina, that he runs with his wife, Gabrielle. 
He is the author of Homebrew Beyond the Basics, a homebrewer since 1986 and a historic beer enthusiast. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you. Glad to be here. So uh, tell us, I guess, a little bit about Zebulon. And in, in particular, I know that you like to make historic styles. So maybe tell us some interesting historic IPAs that you've made. Um, last year, we did a, a box set of six historical IPAs following the, uh, the, the trajectory, the rise and fall of, of English IPA. And we followed it starting from like a late 1700s IPA and then all the way through the world wars and post-world war, it's really, really doesn't exist other than name. You know what I mean? They, they would use IPA, but it really was a three and a half percent golden bitter with 20 to 30 IBUs, you know, it was far cry from what it was. And uh, then fought, finished up uh, with the rebirth of it on the West coast of the U S with Liberty Ale in 1974. Oh, wow. So you cover, uh, if my math is right, uh, almost 300 years of history in six beers. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun <laughs> to drink along, uh, drink along with history lessons for sure. Um, so can you tell us like, I guess what the time periods were of those six periods and then six beers, sorry. And then how do I assume that the evolution of beer is, um, gradual. And so how do you say, okay, this is one historic IPA. And then, you know, whatever it is, 70 years later, it's evolved enough that I can call this another IPA, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if you're talking about the early period, like 1700s to the 1800s, not a lot is changing. Um, I mean, I don't want to go too deep into it, but even the words ale and beer become very problematic in the 1700s in that beer was hopped, a hopped right. malt beverage and ale was a non-hopped. So pale ale, you know, if you're talking, you know, early 1700s, that doesn't have any hops in it at all. It would have been called pale beer. And, uh, and, and eventually ale fell out of favor and everything just started becoming called ale. Um, but in, in the 1700s, early 1800s, IPA, well, it would have just been pale ale. I think that's one thing we need to get out of the way right away was that IPA was not a specific beer brewed to ship to India. They were just sending <laughs> pale you. ale over there. Yeah. And pale ale in the 1700s, early 1800s, was just 100% pale malt and a boatload of traditional hops. And then it was put into barrels where it would undergo a secondary fermentation with Britannomyces for a full year before they would even put it on the ship to send it to India. So you're, you know, the idea that this would be a year and a half, uh, and then they would re-bottle it, or they would, you know, they'd send it in casks to India, and then they would bottle it in India as oh. being a year and a half old. So it's very, it's so alien to a modern IPA drinker to think of it. And, and that's what we start off our, uh, our box set with, is a, you know, circa 1750, uh, IPA, which is 100% Maris Otter, 160 IBUs of East Kent Ooh. Goldings, Holy. put into a bar 
Uh, well, no, I can't do whole leaf okay. on my Okay, just ask. Um, but uh, yeah, and I can't even imagine right? trying to separate. <laughs> Back in the day, they had things called hop presses, I think they were called, where they would squeeze the, 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 the hops to get the juice out. But uh, yeah, it's hard enough making 160 IBU beer with 4% goldings. I mean, you're basically making hop pesto. <laughs> and, uh, and so we take the, I mean, it's very bitter and very rough at, you know, coming out of the fermenter. But then when you put it into uh, oak barrels, leave it there full, full year with Britannomyces, and then you take it out, dry hop it, package it up. And it's just an unbelievable beer, but again, very alien. I'm, I'm almost hesitant to put IPA on it because it really is more like an imperial or ball, if you can understand oh. what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. You know, just funky and but with like think imagine like a, a eight percent or ball with mouth coating hop resin um and you kind of get the idea of what it is it's very fun and a, just a very interesting challenging beer but not something that a lot of modern ipa drinkers can wrap their head around uh, I so that say, sounds you know, that sounds actually really great <laughs> yes. i kind of i would like to go to there that sounds wonderful to me but I'm, so not by, but I'm not a typical drinker, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of, of Zebulon is we're a tiny little brewery on a back alley in a small town where we can get away with whatever we want to. You know, we don't have to dumb down beers for the masses. We, we can get as geeky and nerdy um, as we want because it's just me and my wife running it. So, but if so we're going to continue, what, yeah, please. That's what I was going to say. Continue with, with uh, IPA. So that's going to be what IPA tastes like in India. It's what it's going to be throughout the 1700s, early 1800s, and then that's when the, the interesting interaction between uh, technology and IPA come into play. Like, you know, they went from sailing ships that would take six months. To, to travel from England to India. You know, they had to go all the way down across, you know, around the Horn of Africa. And then they invented steamships in somewhere in the mid 1800s. And all of a sudden, instead of six months, it takes two weeks or three weeks. And then they're able to drop the IBUs, the, the bittering levels of the beer because it doesn't need to, you know, make this really treacherous, hot voyage over there. And then they, uh, and, and then like another 34 year to 30, 40 years later, they opened up the Suez Canal, which made it so they could get there in just a week. And the hop levels just keep dropping every time. So this, this is a, an example of a beer evolving and changing right alongside technological advances that, you know, it's very interesting to follow along and drink along with, uh, as these things happen. And then of course there's world war, which is the, the main event that um, really destroys British beer. Um, you, know, you know, in say 1910, before world war one happens, even an English mild would be 6%. You know, that, that's a starting point. Six, seven, 8% was the strength of English beers um, before world war one. And then 10 years later, after World War I ended, everything's half of what it was 
and it really never re recovers. You know, it gets a little bump in between World War One and World War Two, but it, it, it and World War II, World War Two, it goes back down again, and at that point, it's done. You know, a, a mile that was six percent, you know, fifty years earlier is now a three and a half percenter. And uh, IPA post World Wars, it really doesn't exist. They 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 haven't sent pale ale to India for for decades, and they've given up on the barrel aging with Brett a hundred years earlier. So this is all, you know, in in the nineteen fifties, an average IPA was just a very boring golden bitter with 20 to 30 IBUs. That was all, it was just a name, you know, it didn't mean anything at all. It definitely didn't have any connection with the crazy IPA we were talking about that started it all off in the 1700s. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Sort of like today where IPA doesn't really mean anything. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now we're, we're in the golden age of IPA with uh, lactose-fruited sour IPAs, right? <laughs> there are, I think that I counted, there's over 25 different varieties of IPA. In the BJCP? Yeah. Or? No, no, in the BJCP, oh, I think there's like 12 okay. or 10. Or 10. Well, if anything, we, can, we uh, can console ourselves knowing that IPA has been a fairly meaningless term uh for almost 100 years what's it yeah because yeah. it's it's a marketing term as well and it's yeah it, it, it was a it was a marketing term in 1940 the marketing term today so yeah it's been a long time in the uh, meaningless sort of not not meaningless i mean it means whatever it means in the the time and age that you're in you know you know what you're ordering they knew in 1955 that if they ordered an ipa it was just going to be a, a refreshing Cask bitter. Um, I'm not sure what I'm going to get when I order an IPA nowadays. I have to read right. the fine print. Um, so thank you. I never really thought about those technological, you know, steamship versus sailing ship and the mm. Suez Canal. So I appreciate that. Um, uh, not just time, though. Would would geography have played into this at all? And what I'm thinking is maybe some brewers in Britain have easier access to certain hops or, or Maris Otter versus Golden Promise or whatever. Um, was, was geography a factor as well or not? Only in the sense of getting the beer out to India. Okay. You know what I mean? So if you were an inland brewery, you were not one of the ones making beer for export. The, 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 the breweries like Bass Ale uh, were right there on the... Um, I don't know if it's the Thames or, uh, it, you know, a main river that leads to the ocean. Right. Um, uh, uh, yeah, Burton-on-Trent, right? So Trent right. would be the Trent river. river yeah. And so, so the breweries that had access to ships to send beer to India were the ones making it, uh, as, as you would expect. You know, and, and, and again, with technology, brewery size in England really exploded once they had railroads. Where they could move beer, you know, to the to outside of your city, you know, if, if before that all English breweries were were small local breweries because you didn't have any way to get your beer to other towns, and then all of a sudden once they had uh, railroads, you know, they could move the malt around, they could move the beer around, and it really changed everything and, and led to the the onslaught of 
huge, you know, giant breweries like Whitbread and and uh, Truman, these ones that are just the, the Anheuser Bushes of their day. Right, right. Um, how do you find authentic recipes, and how do you re- remain true to those recipes, given that you have presumably modern ingredients and and well for example you're you were saying that you use hot pellets versus whole leaf as a as a matter of modern necessity so how do you try to remain as authentic as you as you can yeah i mean you do the best the best you can um i mean all my recipes and basically all the knowledge that i'm regurgitating here has been learned through um the the beer researchers and authors like Ron Pattinson and Martin Cornell, Pete Best. And uh, so I'm, you know, I'm not digging through brewery basements looking for recipes. These guys have already done it. And they've translated, you know, Ron, Ron will go into how he'll have to, you know, really research how, you know, what was a hogshead? <laughs> you know, how much was that? You know, how many gallons is a, is a hogshead? Or, uh, uh, you know, a bushel, you know, a bushel will change from, from time to time as to how many pounds that was and depending on where you were. So it's very complicated. Right. But So I rely, I rely on these researchers who have done the, done the research and printed up the recipes. And, um, you know, that the ingredients are remarkably the same as they were back in the day. I mean, I don't think, I think if I gave, one of my 1700 IPAs to somebody from 1700, they would be like, that's, that's the flavor. That's what, you know, it's not, when you're doing 160 IBUs of Golding, I don't think it matters a whole lot, whether it's pellet or whole hops, you know, it's so intense of, of, of a, a level that maybe it's even better. You know, you never know if those English brewers would have rather used pellets, Mm. You know, they just didn't have the option, but, you know, you can imagine I'm throwing, you know, for any home brewers out there, it's the, it's the equivalent of one pound of hops in five gallons of beer. So it's a, it's a huge mass of vegetal matter in there. And, um, you know, pellets don't really help out a lot, but I can't imagine trying to strain out a full pound of whole hops out of a five gallon batch. It's just, you know, it's going to soak up almost all the work. It's complicated, but but I feel I feel I feel good that the beers I'm making would be recognizable to the the drinkers back then, and uh, I, I just get as close as I can. You know, there'll, there'll be people who be like, "Oh, we don't even know what hops they were using or what the alpha acids were back then." But Ron's done research where he'll he'll he's like, "I found a you know a hop." Uh, uh, and analysis in like 1907 of East Kent Goldings, and they were 6.7 alpha. So you know what I mean? <laughs> that that the fact that they haven't really changed that makes me feel comfortable that that you know the ingredients are not that different. It's not like I'm using Citra or Mosaic or anything. Goldings has been around since the 1700s. So so it's not like I'm having to choose modern hop varieties. For these, you know, this, this is the same hop they were using. The barley, the barley was always, you know, sketchy because England never had enough barley to to to, 
to, to service its, its industry, its brewing industry. They always were importing barley from all over the world. You'll see easily, you know, 10, 20% California barley and Syrian barley and European barley. And they would, they would bring it all into England and malt it. You know, it was, they weren't buying malted barley, but they would source barley from all over the world. Um, so it's always kind of been a hodgepodge. We're trying to pinpoint exactly what one brewery was using is all is pretty futile and, and mm. it's not really going to help help make that beer more authentic. I don't think. Um, I, this might be a dumb question and I even acknowledge that as I, as I still nonetheless ask it, um, would the malt be, might it have been under modified? Would, would it require any kind of step mashing? Certainly not a decoction. But, no, but, yeah. no, not in not in England. No, no, they 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 really didn't do that. It was all infusion. They would they would uh, do this thing called underletting, where they just pump the the, uh, the water into the mash from underneath, and they would you know they would fill it up at uh, 100 hundred hundred and fifty degrees, and then they would drain it, and then they would fill it up again at one hundred and fifty five degrees, and then drain it, and then fill it oh. up at one hundred and sixty degrees and drain it. That's kind of you know this batch sparging type thing, and and often that you know each different sparge would go into a different fermenter or a different right. kettle and boiled up, and then they would blend those three different beers to make six different you know yeah. final products going out, and adding caramel coloring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Fuller so, still yeah, sort I, of I thought, it, I thought it'd be funny to ask like a uh, a modern brew house manufacturers like all right i need a, a 20 barrel mash ton and then i need three seven gallon kettles <laughs> you know where you they'd be like what are you talking about but that's how they brewed they had one giant mash and they would just send each wort off into different kettles with different hops and then different fermenters and then do this weird blending afterwards with coloring and you know it's amazing they could get just with one big mash they can make you know, an entire brewery's portfolio right. uh, at the pub. Right. Interesting. Em, did you have any questions? I do, actually. So when you're making these, are you uh, collab Are you talking to Ron Pattinson or Martin Cornell, or are you just using their, um, their uh, literature to make stuff? So, because they're no, pretty, Ron they're pretty available. I always find Ron likes to make sure that, uh, People are doing when they're doing beer history, you know, he's pretty he makes himself available. So, yeah, we, we've brought Ron to town four or five times over the oh, last wow. eight, nine years. Even when I was brewing at Green Man, we, we, we brought him into town and did a whole uh, evolution of English mild uh, lecture with with uh, associated pours of, of historical mild. And we've done that four or five times, I think, over the years. And we're planning on one next year for Asheville Beer Week, which is going to be really fun. We're going to turn uh, Zebulon into an English pub in the middle of World <laughs> War II, hmm. where we're going to have bombers going over and the smell oh. of gunpowder in the air. And I'd love to get a World War II reenactment out in uh, in front of the brewery. But, um, you know, that the idea... World, drinking in World War II at pubs were, was a very strange experience. I mean, the, the government was shutting down the pubs for other than just an hour or two in the, more, in the afternoon and an hour or two at evening. 
all the beer gravities were legislated, you know, down, down, down. So it's going to be a weird event because I'm, you know, I try to think of people who are just coming here to, to try our normal beers and they come in and there's just bombs going off and the dogs are freaking <laughs> out. All the it's eight beers and they're all 3% or under, you know, I'm like, you know what, but it'll be fun to do it. And, and when they, those people go home to Florida or wherever, I, I think they'll, they'll, they'll forget all about the, uh, the 20 hazy pale IPA breweries they went to. And they'll be like, what was that one that had the bombs going off? <laughs> and all the beer was, was so watery or something. You know, but that's, that's the kind of stuff I can get away with being a tiny little brewery. It's like owning a, a, a tiny record label. You know right. what I mean? You're, you're responsible for putting out the weirdo stuff. You know, nobody else is going to do it if you don't do it. So it's a, that's our plan. Yeah, bringing Ron in. He's got a new set of books out called uh, Blitzkrieg, Blitzkrieg, and it's uh, English brewing during World War II. And uh, there's a one, the, the, the history part is like a 400-page book, and then the recipe, recipes are a separate book. It's like almost 800 pages. Oh, my goodness. They're monsters. Some of Ron's books, he likes to sign them as being like, you can use this as a weapon. Cause, cause <laughs> they, you know, they're like, they're huge. Like his porter book is, is great it's over 800 pages i think oh and it's just uh, you know the entire rise and fall of porter full of recipes and everything we're, we're, we're lucky to have ron doing all this uh this work for sure you, you don't need bombs going off you just drop drop his books on the floor <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep for sure um please reserve two spots for m and i we will we will be there oh yeah that would be it. awesome <laughs> um okay so uh you know we did speak with uh, ron pattinson as well and uh, i we can tell from talking to him and i can tell from talking to you you're very passionate about this um why do you think how did you get infected by this um historic beer bug what do you find interesting about it and then i guess for the modern drinker what do you hope they'll take away from drinking your beers that was a lot of questions in one. You know, <laughs> no, I, the overall answer is that I want people to know that beer was always good. You know what I mean? I want to. I want to throw respect to the brewers of the past. You know, they were always making the best beer they could, and just because it's you know from 200 years ago doesn't mean it was sour or smoky or weird that some of these beers are delicious and uh, are as good as a modern uh, equivalent. And also, it's, I think it's important to ground your, if, if you're somebody who's very geeky about beer, to know what, let's say you really want to understand IPAs. It's good to know what the starting point was. You know, and then you can go off and, you know, explore the the West Coast 1990s IPAs. You can go and do the hazies. You can do the, the milkshakes. But to know that how it all started was, you know, a funky barrel-aged, you know, monster. It, 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 that, that never hurts anybody to... to to, to ground themselves, calibrate themselves. Mm. And uh, I like the, being able to produce these, I guess, calib calibratable 
beers or something, if for nothing else, you, you, you can say, I know what porter tasted like in 1850. You know, and, and what, that seems much more important to me than making a yet another lactose, vanilla, candy bar porter. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like the, 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 the market's full of that. And, and I just feel that, it's, that, that it's, if I'm going to make a porter, what is something nobody else is doing? And the, the, the historical path is one I'm just drawn to. I guess because I'm an old man. You know, I started homebrewing in 86. So I've been doing this forever. And sometimes I see the path that craft beer is on, you know, like a lot of gimmickry and, and fads and that. And I cut, you know, my, my, uh, my safe space is the uh, mid 1800s <laughs> English beers and, and, and classic German lagers. I mean, to me, they're timeless. They're beautiful, they're subtle, and, uh, and they've got, you know, the story. Stories really helps. It's almost like the, the secret fifth ingredient is the mm. story be mm. behind the beer you're drinking. You know what I mean? Because if, if, if I just give you a random porter, you, you know, you're just going to judge it, however. And, but if I say this is a reproduction of a porter, it's an illegal porter from, you know, 1930s where they weren't allowed to use colorants or whatever and and you know and it has this great story of how they were cooking down a licorice root in the pub to add to to casks to make it to stretch it out or whatever uh-huh. you know all of a sudden you got this really interesting story that you're you're you know you're digging into the flavors trying to find these and that to me is just you know how can you go wrong doing that <laughs> that's awesome well, that's. I mean, it kind of. Yeah. It's 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 tough putting it on the label of a a beer bottle for sure, but um, you know that's why most of it we sell in house at the tap room where we can you know tell people the story and then do these events with Ron where he can sit there and just walk you through you know the the Nazi U boats circling England and the brewers trying to make you know a, a Russian an imperial stout that's four and a half percent you know and trying to make a taste like a real imperial style, you know, getting back to trying to understand how the brewers in their minds are dealing with these things and always trying to do the best to, to get a lot of flavor and uh, character in the beers, even if they're being forced by the government to make them lower and lower alcohol. Yeah, that's awesome. Your recipes are forever. That was what I was going to say. You know, you can <laughs> always go back and relive a little history by brewing these beers, which you do, which is very cool. Yeah, it is. Um, and it gets me off the hook. So if people, if people don't like it, I just tell them, hey, it's yeah. not my beer. It's some brewers from 1860. You know? <laughs> yes. Hey, go get in your time machine and go talk to yeah. them. <laughs> and tell me, and yeah, and tell me I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> um, so for home brewers listening to this who maybe want to want to make a, a historic IPA, where should they start? How do they, how would they find a, a recipe or a style and what, what can they do to make their beer more authentic? Um, I would send them to uh, to Amazon to buy Ron's book, the um, what's it called, the Home Brewer's Guide to Historical Beers. I believe that's what it's called. And in that, he goes through each. He's got multiple chapters, and he's got a whole chapter on IPA, and he'll give you fifteen different recipes from across the ages to to uh, to reproduce. Okay. 
Um, and it is doable by a home brewer? Oh, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, M, did you have any other questions? No, I think this was really enlightening. I really appreciate all your insight and the fact that you're keeping a lot of these beers alive and it's just really cool stuff. Um, thank you, Mike. Don't, don't stop. Don't stop believing. <laughs> thank you, Mike. And we'll see you uh, during Asheville uh, beer week so that uh, we can, we can taste these IPAs through time. That's amazing. Yeah. And if anyone wants to there, learn uh, more about you, how can they, uh, sorry to interrupt. How can they get in touch with you? Uh, social media or website yeah zebulonbrewing.com is a website on uh on instagram zebulon brewing um and then my personal uh mike karnowski at facebook if you want to follow along with any other musical side projects or anything like that cool cool awesome thanks, thanks guys cheers yeah, thank Keep you so much yeah. very well <laughs> cheers ah. cheers so, M, how did you uh, like that episode? So cool. I, lo I love how everything comes back again. Yeah. You know, like everything is cool, is new again. How IPAs are, you know, are an aged, typically yeah. like, are historically an aged beer. Like, I I am one of those people that's like, this check IPA six weeks ago, check the date code, check the date code, especially when I buy beer. I'm always yeah. checking the date codes. And the fact that this beer just sat outside. For a with year, Brett, with Brett before they put it on a boat, you know, like that's, and then that's that, you know that's, six more weeks or six months or whatever, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like it's in, just really in the heat. cool, yeah, right. very, 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 like very cool stuff. It, it made me, it made me appreciate IPAs even more, even though they are essentially um, it's a marketing phrase, but in a marketing phrase that spanned now more than 25 different styles i i almost think that ipa is its own it's like ales it's under that like ales so it's like ipas stouts porters like a, right it's a catch-all it's a not a catch-all but like there's it almost umbrella. has its own umbrella yeah, yeah. um because there's just so many of them especially with celebrating ipa day that we had recently like i counted all the ones i could think of and there are a lot <laughs> <laughs> And now I feel better about myself that in my own personal beer cellar, I have IPAs that are like years and years old because I just didn't get around to them. So well, maybe you should have. Go, I would go yeah, have one. I'm going to go drink those right now. <laughs> <laughs> so please uh, visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. And if you're feeling generous, please visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. If you have questions for the experts or suggestions for the show, please email us at podcast at allaboutbeer.com. That's also the email for feedback, suggestions, and to inquire about supporting this show through advertising. Speaking of advertising, here's a short word from our sponsors. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, 
where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Estrella Galicia is an independent family-owned brewery in Northwest Spain, founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world-class lager, brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops, and the best brewing practices made out of the state-of-the-art facility in Acruña. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, Estrella Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Estrella Galicia, follow them at Estrella Galicia USA on Instagram. Em, how can people find you on social media? I am at Pints and Panels across all social media, and my website is www.pintsandpanels.com. What about you, Don? I am at the Dawn of Beer on X, Threader, Threads, and Instagram, and people can drop me an email at dawn at thedawnofbeer.com. This show is produced by Olive Beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com for articles, notes on this show and others, and to connect via the newsletter and social media. Cheers. Cheers. Keep drinking IPA. Old IPA. Old IPA is forever. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>